Good morning. Yes, praise the Lord. It is a good morning. It's a great, great morning to be in the house of the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad. What a great, great thing to just remind ourselves of and be doing, regardless of whatever the day is. But today is a beautiful day, really. The sun is shining. It's a great morning. But I know, you know life goes, life happens even, even when the sun shines. But we got to rejoice and be glad. I'm glad this morning, I love sharing these little things, just these little confirmations that God has been giving to me, and I like sharing them, so I will. Last night, uh, I read from a book called Evening by Evening. It's by Charles Spurgeon. He wrote it in the 1860s. It's, uh, in his own words, it's short reflections for meditation. We would probably call it a devotional Last evening, I read, uh, and I took a picture of it, though I, I was really taking a picture of this morning, uh, but it, it, and here's why I got the evening one. It's today. I read the wrong one. Last night, I read this evening's. I read this evening's uh, last night, and Pastor Barry walks up here, to open the service, and he reads from John 14, 16, exactly what I had read last night and was meditating on. I had this great conversation with Julie about the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and Spurgeon writes in this way that just, it is, it's beautiful, and it's a little different than the way we talk today because it was 1860s, and he was an Englishman, and uh, he, he has a great way of, of saying things about God. And he said some things about the Holy Spirit that were just fantastic. And I had this amazing conversation last night with Julie and then Pastor Barry is the oracle of God. He just comes up here and, I mean, he's speaking right to me through God's word. And I know he didn't talk about it and I know he didn't read that last night because it's tonight's. Uh, I, read the, <laughs> I read the wrong one. Actually, it was the right one. It was the right one. So I'm encouraged that God is talking. His Holy Spirit is speaking to all of us by his word. We've been talking in God's word about what did Jesus do? Now, what would Jesus do? But what did Jesus do? Because knowing what Jesus has done helps us to answer that question, what would Jesus do? So many think they know what Jesus would do, but they really have no idea what Jesus has done. So we're going to take some time, and we have been talking about what did Jesus do? What has he done? And that helps us then in our life to make application. And if we live by answering a question like, what did Jesus do? It's very helpful to know what he has done. So we talked about Jesus and judgment, and that Jesus judges, and he judged all. We're in the need for repentance. And when Jesus did that and said, all need to repent or perish, he didn't do it with this lightning bolt in his hand. No, he gave a picture of patience and care and waiting, loving kindness, tender mercy, long-suffering, waiting for the lost to turn from their sin in repentance and to turn toward Jesus for forgiveness and everlasting life. That we talked about. We also talked about Jesus and truth. Jesus and truth. What did Jesus do? He proclaimed himself as the only way, the one and only way to be reconciled with God. And he requires obedience to his teachings 
And he embodied that in the word truth. Standing before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor that ultimately sent him to the cross, Jesus said, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. His mission was a mission of truth. What he did was true. He gave his life for us. All that we've sung about today, it's true. To, to pay for uh, the debt that we owe for our sin. Now this morning, I, I want to speak to you about what did Jesus do that's earth-shaking. And there was an earthquake Monday in Turkey and in Syria, it was there pretty close to the border. Uh, not, not that close, but it was a powerful, powerful earthquake that, that caused destruction in Turkey and Syria. It was about 4 a.m. local time. So you might imagine most people were caught unaware. Many people were sleeping. Thousands of buildings collapsed and continued in the aftershock in, in the aftershocks that were very powerful as well, many buildings collapsed. Thousands have died. Over 24,000 at the last number as I've seen, and I know that's still increasing. It's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking to see that. Have you ever experienced an earthquake? Here in Michigan, we don't really experience earthquakes, and if you've been here like me all your life, it's just not something we really and truly think about. I know there have been these little tremors that have touched Michigan a couple of times in my life, but they've been nothing to really speak of. I went uh, one time to California, and I was in Mountain View, California. I was there to uh, give a training class for the company that I worked for, my first time in Mountain View, my second time in California, and I met some really fun people at the company that I was at, Seagate, it was a hard drive company, and they were just a lot of fun, and they picked on me a lot about being from Michigan. It's flat, there's no mountains, there's really nothing there, but when I told them about the Great Lakes, and I said, hey, Lake St. Clair, it's a little puddle. It's 25 miles across. They were like, wow, because they don't see that. We have different things. God's blessed us in Michigan. We had a lot of fun. Well, I'm alone in a hotel at night. It's the middle of the night. I don't know, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. My bed begins to rock. I was sleeping I, I, I was dreaming, I thought at the time, I, was, I didn't know what to think, and I thought that m my daughter, who was about six at the time or so, I thought maybe she was in the room shaking the bed. And then I'm coming to my senses and I'm realizing, no, I'm not at home, I'm in California. I'm in a hotel all by myself. And suddenly I realized this is an earthquake. It's my first earthquake. And I, I was, I'll just tell you, I was kind of freaking out. I had never experienced something like this. And it startled me and it woke me up and it frightened me. And in a very short order, it was done and gone. And it really was very small. 
I went to that company the next morning, and I'll tell you what, I was like, hey, did you guys feel that earthquake last night? It was amazing. I couldn't believe it. It woke me up. And here's what this guy said to me. He looked at me, and he said, what earthquake? I said, really? Well, they, this was pre-internet. There was no such thing as the internet. This was the 1900s. And so he, he got on the phone. They could dial like we would dial weather and get the weather. He could dial a seismic uh, information line. And he heard about the seismic activity and he told me, oh, pff, that was like a 1.0 or something. I, it was very small. He says, we sleep through those all the time. That's nothing. You should have been here two years ago. And two years prior, they had had one where uh, Santa, Santa Cruz was like the, the epicenter. It was very close. And he said, that one, he said, that one was big. And, and I had to run out of the house. He said, you don't even know what you're talking about. So I can't imagine I mean, that little thing terrified me. I cannot imagine what the people in Turkey and Syria were feeling. I mean, that is just truly, truly devastating. What I experienced was absolutely nothing. It's, 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 I can't even compare it. And when these types of disasters happen, where it's just devastating, and so many people are hurt, an earthquake like this, there's a tendency, there is a tendency, and I think you'll agree, there's a tendency in people to question or to blame God. Oh, God, where are you? Where are you? Lord, why did you let this happen? How could you? And others, others uh, from a different point of view, they proclaim God's judgment. Well, this is God's wrath. This is God's wrath being poured out on people who deserve it. It's the wrath of God being poured out on a wayward society or a perverse generation. And it doesn't really matter what the disaster is. You pick it. Earthquake, tornado, tsunami, hurricane, wildfire, mudslide, whatever. The same pronouncement often comes. God did this because he's angry he poured out his wrath. It's his judgment. And when it comes to this, this particular style of disaster, earthquakes, many, many have said the same thing. It is God's judgment. God did this because he was upset. Now, about 270 years ago, uh, in 1750, a preacher named John Wesley, he gave a sermon about earthquakes. Now, what Wesley proffered in his earthquake sermon was that earthquakes are a form of God's judgment. And he, he said this. I'll give you a little quote from his sermon. Sin is the cause of earthquakes. Earthquakes are set forth by the inspired writers as God's proper judicial act for the punishment of sin. Sin is the cause. Earthquakes, the effect of his anger. We then conclude from both scripture and reason that earthquakes are God's strange works of judgment, the proper effect and punishment of sin. Now, I, I, that's just not a sermon I don't think anyone should be preaching in Turkey today. Wesley was a great preacher, but, but I'm going to disagree with him a little bit this morning. 
God does pass judgment, and that God has passed judgment and carried out his, his sentence of his judgment in many different ways. I can't dispute. We cannot dispute it. It's in the word of God. God judged the world with a flood. The flood was the sentence. God judged Egypt, and he sent 10 devastating, debilitating plagues. God judged the king of Babylon, and he sent Darius the Mede to overthrow Babylon. So the Bible is full of this idea of God passing judgment on sin, and he meets out a sentence in a variety of ways, disasters that are disasters of nature, strange plagues, invading armies. God uses all kinds of ways to pass his sentence. But can we say, can we say in every single instance of disaster, trouble, trial, pain, God has the express purpose of his judgment behind that disaster? Remember, two weeks ago, two weeks ago we talked about judgment and used a passage from Luke chapter 13. A disaster occurred. A tower fell on 18 Galileans. And Jesus said to a big crowd, there was a big, big crowd before him, and he said, you think these Galileans were more guilty than all of you? No, no. Unless you repent. I tell you, unless you all repent, you too will perish. In other words... The falling tower was not some special punishment. It wasn't God's wrath. Because Jesus said everyone, everyone is guilty of sin. So can we say, like John Wesley, that every earthquake is judgment for sin? And, and I'll say this morning, no. That I disagree with that statement. And I disagree with him, that preacher, on that point. But let's open God's word. Let's look at God's word. Let's look at God's word and specifically some passages about earthquakes. There's earthquakes in the Bible and show that God's purpose is not always, it's not always expressly his wrath and his punishment and his judgment. And we will also see in one of these examples, what did Jesus do? I want to stay on that theme too. So I have three, or three examples, three examples of times that the earth shook in the Bible. And the first one, the first example, comes from the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 14. And 1 Samuel chapter 14 gives an account of the Israelite army taking on the army of the Philistines that was the enemy of, of the Israelites. And the battle on that particular day began with just two Israelites, just two, confronting the entire Philistine army. And it was a man named Jonathan. He was the son of King Saul, the king of Israel. And Jonathan's armor bearer, these two, they were going to go take on the whole army of the Philistines. Jonathan was certain. He was certain. The Lord is with us, he said. The Lord's with us. And he said, the Lord's going to show us a sign. And the Lord did show them that sign. And so they began to go after the enemy, the entire army. Jonathan is his armor bearer began the attack, and they slew about 20 men. But that's just a tiny fraction, 20 out of the entire army. Then what happened? Let's read what happened. This is 1 Samuel uh, verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 15. And it says, Then panic struck the whole army, that is, the whole Philistine army. Those in the camp and field, and those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. 
mechanics sent by God. So God sent this with the ground shaking. So God's hand was involved in this earthquake. Now, meanwhile, King Saul gathered his troops together. Here, his own son and his armor bearer, two guys are taking on the entire army. But let's read verse 20. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. So we see, what did the, what did the earthquake and the panic that ensued do to the enemy? They were confused. They had turned on each other. Saul's army now had the upper hand. And here's the conclusion. Verse 23. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel, and the battle moved on beyond Beth Avon. Now, on the one hand, God passed judgment on the Philistines, and He sent an earthquake. He sent an earthquake that resulted in their defeat. But on the other hand, the earthquake was a blessing to the Israelites. It was a blessing to the Israelites. And what did we read? The Lord saved them and gave them a victory. I don't know what they were thinking when the earth started to shake. They might have been, ah, what's going on? There's an earthquake. But the conclusion is they were saved. Now let's look at a second example. An example, this is from the New Testament, Acts chapter 16. A little more familiar account. Acts 16 is the account of Paul the Pharisee, Paul the, the Pharisee who had been converted to Christ in such a powerful, powerful way that he, that he put aside all the rules of Judaism and, and he began to evangelize for Jesus. And he went on missions of evangelism to other areas outside of his uh, city of Tarsus and outside of Jerusalem, he was, he was moving beyond. And so this is his first time into Europe. And he was there with his friend Silas in the city of Philippi. And they were preaching. They were preaching Jesus. And they were preaching so well. People were coming to Christ. And some in the city were upset. They were upset. These two foreigners had come in and they had started preaching a new religion, Jesus, and so many were turning to Jesus. Others were upset, and so they brought false accusations against Paul and Silas. And a crowd formed. As they were uh, making these false accusations, a crowd formed. It became a mob. And let's read what happened. Let's read what happened. This is Acts 16. I'm going to read uh, verses uh, 25 through 28, or 22 through 28. Um, it says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods after they had been severely flogged. And they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. 
we are all here. Now this is described as a very violent earthquake. Did anyone die in this earthquake? I, I, I don't know. We don't have that documented. Perhaps somebody did. It, it seems likely, it seems like there was likely devastation by this earthquake beyond this prison. We don't have any details except for what happened to the jailer in his house. He was definitely aroused and awakened. We don't have any detail about the devastation to the surrounding vicinity. But we can only imagine. It says it's a violent earthquake. Like the previous example, though, there was a purpose of God in this earthquake. That wasn't judgment. Though it may have been devastating to some, it was for God's good plan. It was for his purpose. And what was the purpose? To set his servants free and to arouse and wake up the jailer and get his attention. And now what was the end? What was the end result of this experience? Verses 33 and 34 in Acts 16. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy. He was filled with joy. We were singing so much about joy. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Now this jailer, who was initially full of fear and panic, so much so that he was going to kill himself, because he thought, oh, this earthquake is... It, Prisoners have escaped. What am I going to do? I'm responsible for them. This is going to come down on me. He was in fear and panic. And yet he was saved and baptized along with his entire household. This disaster, as devastating as it might have been, surrounding, it, it had a purpose in it for God. And it wasn't just judgment. It wasn't judgment and punishment. God's purpose was blessing. God's purpose was blessing. And I was reminded of this this morning. So this morning, I open up Charles Spurgeon's Morning by Morning. He wrote Morning by Morning, Evening by Evening. And, and this is what I took a picture of because for this morning, which was the right day, by the way, I was reading the right one. He's talking about how we abundantly share in Christ's suffering so that we also can abundantly share in his comfort. Now, again, he puts this so eloquently about, uh, about this balance. He calls it the balance of, of pain and consolation, which I'll just call blessing. And he wrote... God in his providence operates the scales. On one side, he puts his people's trials. And on the other, he puts their blessing. He goes on to write about these scales. And he says, you know, when the scale of trial is heavy, so too the other side is heavy with blessing. And he uses this 
scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that says, For God is the God of all comfort. We share in Christ's sufferings, but we also share in the blessing. So when tough times, things are happening, has there been an earthquake in your life? Has your life ever been shaken? And how do you see that? Do you, do you just say, God, why are you judging me? Do you see it as God's discipline every time? Sometimes God does discipline us. Yes, of course. But do we wonder every time we have a pain, we have an issue, God, why are you judging me? Think for a moment about these two guys, Paul and Silas. They were stripped. They were beaten with rods. And the Bible says they were, they were severely flogged, naked and Wham, wham. Then they're taken into a dungeon prison in the, in the earth. It's got to be cold and damp and smelly. And their feet were locked in stocks. Then, then what? Well, I can only imagine their hearts were heavy. Their hearts were, were heavy. We're, we've been beaten, we're naked, we're thrown in this prison. And what did they do? They started to pray. They started to pray and sing for joy. Then what? Then what? The earth begins to shake violently. I wonder, when, I, I wonder what went through their minds. Put yourself in that situation. It's a hard, hard trial. You've been beaten. You're imprisoned. Your feet are locked up and you're praying, Lord, Lord. You might be doing your best to, to be joyful. I'll rejoice and be glad. And then suddenly the earth begins to shake. What are you saying? Oh, Lord, thank you for answering my prayer. The cave's going to collapse on me and I'm going to die. Right? What's going through your mind as this earthquake begins? Are you saying, oh, thank you, Lord, for answering my prayer. I'm going to be set free. Not what I'm thinking. That's not what I'm thinking when the earth begins to shake. I was through this little baby earthquake and I was freaking out. I can't imagine they were thinking, thank you God, thank you Jesus for answering our prayer. But guess what? Guess what the violent shaking was? It was their salvation. It was not God's discipline. It was not God's judgment. They were saved. Is the foundation in your life quaking right now? Do you have anything that, that might even be causing a little baby tremor? What are you thinking? God's wrath? Your life has been rocked or shaken? Is it possible blessing could come? Is it possible God might be working this for some blessing? We've got two examples. Blessing. Blessing involved when the earth has been rattling let's look at a third earthquake let's look at a third earthquake on this day it was the day of what this the the jewish faith called the preparation for the passover in the city of jerusalem this is a high holy day but on this particular day the sun stopped shining it went dark it was a dark day just outside the city the Romans were executing criminals, nailing them to crosses. 
Three crosses were raised, and on the center cross, there Jesus was affixed by nails in his hands and his feet. He was dying. There were some women near the cross, and only one, only one of the men who was Jesus' faithful followers, the rest of these followers of Jesus, all the other men, they had scattered. They had scattered out of fear, their hearts overwhelmed. Their worlds had been shaken. They were rocked. A metaphoric earthquake had occurred, and they ran. They ran. Then this happened. Then this happened. This is Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 and 51. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and rocks split. This is a powerful earthquake. The earth shook and rocks split. Verse 54, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Jesus died and the earth shook. Some were terrified. I don't know if anybody perished in that earthquake. It doesn't tell us, but it was a powerful, powerful tumbler that split rocks in two. So powerful, so powerful. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, this was no insignificant event. The curtain covered a room in the temple that was called the most holy place. And in the most holy place was the golden ark of the covenant where God's presence resided. That inner room was sacred. No Jew could enter that room. No priest could enter that room except the high priest. And his job was to make atonement for the sin of the people, and he would go into that little room, the most sacred place in the entire temple, and he would go in one time per year to make atonement for the sin of the people. And now the curtain that had blocked that little room was torn in two. It was huge. It was thick. It was torn in two from top to bottom. What did it all mean? The letter to the, to the church of the Hebrews explains the letter to the Hebrews explains that the torn curtain was a sign, a sign that Jesus, Jesus had entered into that most holy place. And he didn't go in to make atonement for sin and then come out again and have to wait a whole year while sins of people piled up and then go back in again. No, no. It tells us he had passed into the most holy place as our high priest forever forever and he was there forever and he's atoned for sin forever the 10th chapter the 10th chapter of hebrews it gives a summary it gives a summary i want to read it to you verses 19 to 22 in hebrews chapter 10 it says therefore brothers and sisters since we have confidence to enter the most holy place now remember this is a letter to the hebrews they would be shocked to read such things. No way, we can't go in there. We are not allowed in there. But here the writer says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. How? By the blood of Jesus. 
by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. There was an earthquake the day that Jesus died. It was violent. It terrified some. It rocked the temple in Jerusalem. It rocked it so hard. And what did Jesus do? What did he do? He tore, the, he tore that curtain. This, was, this is what Jesus did, giving his life. He tore that curtain right in two. And he opened a way. What did Jesus do? He opened a way, a new forever way, everlasting, everlasting forgiveness of sin. He opened a new and living way. That's what the writer called it. He called it a new and living way into this place called the most holy place. Called a new and living way because sacrifice and atonement by a high priest year after year, no longer necessary. It's called a new and living way because there's no more separation. No more separation between us and God's presence. It's called the new and living way because Jesus, Jesus tore that curtain in two. And we can come into the very presence of God. We can enter the most holy place. This is what the writer's encouraging us to do through a new way, a new curtain. A curtain that doesn't lock us. A curtain, he said, that is the broken body of Jesus called the new and living way because of the sacrifice of Christ who is our great high priest and now we can draw near to God with confidence do you have that confidence this morning confidence that you're cleansed of your sin your hearts are clean and you can come near to God this is what Jesus did and it's amazing the day he died and the earth was shaken and rocked it was a dark day it was a dark day but there was blessing. It was a glorious day. It was a marvelous day, a wonderful day. The ground shook. God sent a panic. And on that day, there was salvation. Now, the earthquake wasn't as much about judgment as it was about blessing. What did Jesus do? He tore the veil. And he opened a new and better way straight to the presence of God. And we can go into that presence. We can go into that presence when our lives are shaken a little or rattled to the point where we can't hardly even breathe. Like Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas, they could not have had a worse day. Stripped, flogged, bound in a prison cell. Their lives rocked. But what did they do? They entered the presence of God. They entered the presence of God and they prayed and they sang didn't matter what they were going through. I want to ask, is there anything pressing you today? You know, Michael came up here and he was singing. And he, I, I will rejoice. I will rejoice and be glad. And he mentioned a few things. I don't know what you might have in your life. Your, your, your life might be perfect and beautiful and you can stand up and say, I will rejoice and be glad. Do it. Be thankful. Be grateful. But if you're dealing with anything, a a business burden, perhaps a financial crisis. 
Maybe you had a diagnosis you just did not expect, you don't want to hear. Maybe a, a wayward child has rocked your life. Perhaps you've fallen into temptation. It's got the most of you. It's pulling you. You've, maybe you've, you've felt a temptation. Perhaps you've got a strained relationship. Maybe strained to the point of breaking. Stress, strain, issues, physical, financial, relational. There's nothing, nothing that can rock your world so hard that you can't enter into the most holy place. So I want to invite you today. You want to enter the most holy place? Let's go. Come on. Let's stand up. Stand up. Let's pray. Let's go into that most holy place this morning. Let's go into the very presence of God. And if you're dealing with something, regardless of, like, baby earthquake, people will laugh at you like, oh, that's nothing. No, maybe it's nothing to them, but maybe it kind of shook you a little. Maybe it woke you up. Maybe it even terrified you, even though it was just a little baby earthquake. Or maybe it's something huge. But I know that we can enter into the most holy place. We can seek God's help. Even, even, if, even if we are truly being disciplined by God, if we have fallen into some kind of temptation or sin, we can still go into the most holy place and say, Lord, help. And Lord, let me see some blessing in this. Let me see some consolation. Let me see what you've got. Ooh, I don't see this rocking of my world as an answer to prayer, but maybe it is. Maybe there's blessing in it that God can bring because I believe he can. I believe he can because there's so many examples, so many examples where we see the hurt, the pain, and yet God's doing something. Let's pray. We're gonna sing and pray. I'll, I invite you to these altars just to pray, just to come and talk to God about it. Enter into that Enter into that most holy place. And if you can't walk all the way up here, that's all right. You can at your seat. You, you can pray. If you want somebody to pray for you, just raise your hand. Just tell us. And, and we have someone come pray with you. And if you're in the back at those aisle, that crossover aisle, just raise your hand. If you can't run up here, that's a, we'll have someone come and pray with you and believe with you. Enter the most holy place with you. Because we can go in there. You're worthy to be glorified in the good days when, we're, when, when we are just overwhelmed in your love and your grace. You're worthy to be praised. And God, when we're in that tough time, you're worthy to be praised. You're worthy to be praised no matter what. Through the storm, you are Lord, Lord of all. God, thank you for what Jesus did. Thank you that he made a way. He made a way and we don't have to sacrifice. We do not have to wait for a whole year to go by and hands laid on a goat that gets released and a high priest going into a little room. No, Lord, we can go right now before your throne of grace, boldly and with confidence. And we thank you and we praise you for that because Jesus made a way through his broken body. He did it. What did Jesus do? He opened a new and living way to you, and we're grateful for that, God, and we thank you for that, Lord, and we pray we never take it for granted, and we ask, God, that you would remind us, remind us of that when our life is shaken, when our life is rocked. We ask you for that grace, God, 
we ask you for that grace, God. And we thank you and we praise you. And Lord, we, we, just, we, we don't say all these things and look to the word of God without remembering too. There is a people who have truly been devastated. Bless them, help them, God. And we pray that somehow, some way in that land that's so far from us in Turkey and Syria, God, you would use it to, to, to bless and you would draw some close to you even in the pain and the hurt and the trial and the tribulation. Lord, that you would visit that land. You would help those people. You would bring Jesus and salvation. And Lord, may they look to the true God, the one God, the living God who has made a way where there is no way. Lord, it seems impossible, but you made the way. Lord, thank you for your people. Thank you for this great congregation of people, those who are here and those who have joined online. Bless them, Lord. Help them. Help us all, God, to continue to look to you in, the, in whatever the day brings that we come right into your throne room, that we come into that, that inner most holy place and we bask in your presence and we give our lives to you and we do that every day. Help us to just put our life before you every single day in your presence and we thank you for that, God. Thank you for that new and living way. Thank you for what Jesus did we pray that you would use it. We pray that you would use it in our lives, God. And for any and all here whose, whose lives may be rocked or shaken for whatever reason, God, God, help them and show them blessing in it. Show them Jesus. Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. And may we be witnesses of it, God. Bless your people. Bring them back, Father God. To worship you again, we pray. In Jesus' holy and his precious name, amen.